Hey everybody, I'm Bob Main. Welcome to another episode of today's Survival Show. Helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. This is episode number 230. And this is a practical show, folks. As you know, I like to keep this rooted in common sense. I don't go tinfoil hat on you. I don't I don't believe in all that tinfoil hat stuff, you know, all that fringe dwelling kind of stuff. And I don't categorize everything as tinfoil hat. Of course, I'm a common sense prepper. But, you know, there's some stuff that's way far out there, and I don't go down that road. So this episode is mainly about giving yourself permission to prep. Now, I have a special guest coming up to talk about that. You'll hear an interview that I recently did. But before I get into that, what does this mean, give yourself permission to prep? Well, I'll give you my definition, and after you listen to this entire episode, you might agree with some things and disagree with others and form your own definition and what have you. I think that giving yourself permission to prep basically is accepting the fact that you need to prep. I think one of the reasons why a lot of people don't give themselves permission, why they kind of cave into this ridiculous notion that preppers are fringe dwellers, right? Oh man, I I hate that. It drives me nuts when people try to paint this out to be these fringe dwellers or kooks or nuts, you know, just weird people. I mean, how dare those? I can't believe those people. Can you believe that they waste all that time preparing for some kind of a collapse? Why that's never going to happen. It just drives me nuts, you know, and really when they're the clowns that are going to suffer in the end, would you agree? I mean, I think you'd probably feel the same way as I do. Aren't they the ones that are going to be crying, please help me, when the stink does hit the fan? Now, of course, that kind of begs the question, are you going to help them or not? Well, you know, as time goes on and and kind of the, the older I get and maybe the little more crustier I get, I don't know. I'm not that old, but I just start to think, you know, the more time goes on and the more warnings people get, if they don't get it, if they can't wake up, if they're that much asleep, maybe I don't want to help them because, you know what, it's probably going to be help in vain anyway because they're not going to appreciate it, they're not going to do anything with it, and they'd probably just be looking for a handout if the stink hits the fan. Don't you get that frustrated too? Don't you get that frustrated with some people? Right? Hey, how many of you have seen the movie Back to the Future? How many of you are old enough to remember when Back to the Future first came out? Maybe you've seen it since then on DVD. You remember Biff? Remember Biff in the movie Back to the Future? Well, in some of those scenes, Biff was bullying George McFly. Okay? And you remember that he'd just kind of take his his hand, his knuckles, and he'd kind of like bang him on the head a little bit and go, Hey, McFly! McFly, well, that, that's kind of what I want to do to some people, you know? I want to just kind of, you know, slap them upside the head a little bit and give them a, hey, McFly, wake up, man. What the heck's wrong with you? Come on. You know, that's that's kind of what I want to do to some of these people, saying, you know, just wake up and quit being such a such a little wimp like George McFly was in the, in that movie. So... Giving yourself permission to prep means you have to take the step to admit that you need to prep. 
And if you don't do that, you're never going to give yourself permission. Now, some people admit the need, and usually that, that's got to be the first step, folks. It's got to be the first step. Now, there are some people that still admit the need and just don't do it. That's a whole different psychological phenomenon, I guess. But I think you'll, you'll understand my point even a little more clear after talking to my guest. So, Glenn Tate is the author of the best-selling book series, 299 Days. This is a 10-book series on prepping, self-reliance, survival, whatever you want to talk about, or whatever you want to call it. He is one of the best authors because his stuff is easy to read. That's what I like about it. It's very, very easy to read. And he tells the story about himself, tells the story about his family. Yeah, he kind of paints a picture of the future, does a good job of painting a picture about the future. And I happen to think that Glenn is very, very accurate. I was quoted on the book, on book number five. Uh, Glenn quoted me on the cover of book five. And uh, basically my quote was, I think that Glenn has a really good sense of what is about to happen, uh, not just in this country, but probably throughout the, the world. So get his books, read them. Uh, family can read these books. They're, they're appropriate for family members. And I'm a big believer. So I asked him, this was his idea, actually. Let me give Glenn Tate credit for this. This was his idea to talk about this. And if you listen to my other podcast, the Handgun World podcast, he's also on that show this week, too, talking about revolvers. Both of these topics were his idea. So here we go. Glenn Tate the author of the best-selling book series, 299 Days. By the way, you can go to my Amazon store. If you go to todayssurvival.com and click the Amazon store page or the recommended books page, either one, Amazon store or recommended books at todayssurvival.com, you will help out my show. Use my Amazon link and buy his books. Hey, why don't you just do your Christmas shopping uh, on my Amazon link too? If you're going to buy some Christmas presents for folks, this is the season. Go over to, t- uh, to todayssurvival.com, click the Amazon store page, and uh, enter through my link. You'll help support my show, and you don't even have to spend any extra money to do it. All right, let's bring on Glenn Tate. Well, my special guest, Glenn Tate, author of the book series, 299 Days. Glenn, welcome. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate being back on. Thank you. Well, yeah, no problem. But you've been on quite a few times here, and over also at the Handgun World podcast. And you you have a pretty interesting topic here. You know, I remember when I read your first book, you were kind of laying out the Glenn Tate story, and you wanted to come on and talk about giving yourself permission to prep. Yeah, and this is an idea that hit me when I was writing a particular chapter of Book 7, and Book 7 of the 10-book series will be out in mid-December, probably about the time this, this airs for many people. And it's funny. Um, the first 10 books were 3,200 pages, and they're already written, and it took me two years. And you'd think that spending two years and writing 3,200 pages, you would have pretty much figured out what you were trying to say. <laughs> And, uh, well, I did figure out what I was trying to say, but then I really figured out uh, one aspect of this book um, when I was doing these extra chapters to Book 7, and that's giving yourself permission to prep. And there's a, there's a chapter in Book 7 um, called Todd and Chloe, and it's, it's more information on uh, some, some characters that were briefly mentioned in Book 1 or 2. 
and Todd and Chloe um, are well off, and they live in a very, very fancy suburb of Seattle called Bellevue. And they're sort of the example of well-off people who have not prepped. And uh, and I won't go into a ton of detail about the chapter, um, Todd and Chloe, but there's a little bit of background makes makes all of this make sense. And that is, I was, I was writing, and by the way, um, sometimes I think possessed is not the right word because that has a bad connotation, but I get, um, I don't know what it is, something comes over me and I will, and in this case, it was in Denver in a hotel room at three in the morning, I was on business. I just got up, I just, I sprang out of bed and this entire chapter was laid out in my head and I, I wrote it for about four hours until I got hungry. And, um, and it just flowed, the Todd and Chloe chapter, because it had been pent up in my mind for quite a while. So this, this idea about permission to prep, Todd and Chloe, uh, Chloe is, is a well-to-do woman who thought her husband was crazy to even bring up this topic. And it's a little bit different than me and my wife, the characters in the book. It's a, it's a, a different dynamic than that, but it's roughly the same idea. So she said, don't do this, don't do this. And he listened to her. That's the point. He listened to her because Todd is a decent man and wants to make his wife happy. I think that's pretty much a universal goal that yeah. that husbands have. And, I mean, that's a good goal most of the time. But as they're now six months into this crisis, and things are pretty bad and getting worse, and as um, it's fall, it's a change of seasons, that's the title of books, Evan, everyone's realizing that while this collapse thing was a pretty horrible thing in the summer, in the spring, in the summer, it's going to be really, really bad in the winter. And everyone's looking towards the winter saying, oh my goodness, how are we going to make it? And so things are getting serious and getting real and, and optimism is, is fading. So Chloe all of a sudden says to Todd, why didn't you do anything? Why, did, why didn't you get that cabin that you talked about? Why, why didn't you get that gun? And yeah. Now, instead of instead of this being a chapter about, boy, that Chloe, I mean, how could she do that? She was the one that told him not to do this. It's not a be mad at the wife kind of thing. That's not the point at all, because Todd, in this chapter, is not mad at his wife. He's mad at himself because he listened to her and tried so hard to make her happy against his better judgment. That's the point, against his better judgment. Yeah, but he wanted to make his, he wanted to make her happy and probably didn't want to take a bunch of crap about prepping, so he... He listened to her. He did the easy thing. And he did what <laughs> tens of millions, probably, uh, of, of people, primarily men in this country. And there's some women that are in the situation of Todd, and the, and the roles are reversed, and that happens, too. And so being a good spouse and wanting to make your spouse happy. And then it, it hit me, uh, as I was writing this, that Todd needed to give himself permission to do what he needed or what he knew needed to be done. And that's a weird, almost psychobabble, sort of Dr. Phil, daytime TV kind of thing. You need to give yourself permission to do that. And initially, when I thought about this this phrase, give yourself permission to prep, I thought, I can't actually get on a podcast and talk about giving myself permission. Because everyone's going to laugh at me and think that, you know, this is Oprah or something, you know. And, <laughs> and, and, but then I thought about it, and I said, well, no, this really captures this thought. And so... Todd goes through the process. I won't give away what happens in the chapter, but he gives him he indeed gives himself permission um, to very belatedly six months into it when <laughs> things are really really broken down and bad. He uh, gives himself 
permission to prep, and they, they come up with a plan, and you got to wait till book eight to see what happens with the plan. Um, it's, it's a great storyline. Anyway, that that's what I think, you know, is a, is a message to get out there. Um, I did this myself. I slowly but surely gave myself permission to prep, and I knew it would make my wife mad, but I had to do it. Rationally speaking, there are... There are threats. There are events on the horizon. You know, your listeners know all about them. No need to catalog them now. Um, by the time we record this, for all we know, in a day or two, you know, there'll be yeah. there'll be more solid evidence out there, and this will seem like a dated podcast, right? So, oh, it seems yeah. Threats that are out there, and so you have to say, "Dog on it." I'm going to do what I need to do without it being crazy, and go and do it, and and give yourself permission. Here's an example from book one that you're familiar with of giving yourself permission. I never put these two things together until the hotel room in Denver, right? Yeah. And that was, uh, <laughs> that was when I, when I first went to a gun store uh, to buy a gun. And, and I describe it because it's all real. Everything, almost everything in book one is real because yep. um, I, never, I never thought anyone would read the book, so I put tons of details there. <laughs> well, you were wrong about that. <laughs> yeah, no, I was really wrong about that. In a good way. That's a, that's a good thing. So I talk about, you know, this, this character, me, going to the gun store, and he pulls into the parking lot, and he, he views the gun store sort of like a pornography shop. I mean, it's a place where you shouldn't go. It's full of bad stuff. You wouldn't want to be caught in that parking lot, right? Because guns are bad. You know, these are all the thoughts going through his head. Well, up until he walked into that gun store, this guy hadn't given himself permission to do what he needed to do. And in that situation, he went, he, he bought a shotgun and um, smuggled it into his house and, yeah. and had an explanation. That's all described in book one because <laughs> it's all true, but um, which makes me look bad in real life, but nobody knows my real name. So, and, you know, I guess Glenn Tate can look bad, but, you know, the real me, maybe no one knows who I am. Yeah, yeah. Sure, it, no, no, no one will figure it out, Glenn. <laughs> so, that's what I mean by giving yourself permission, and I think that it's a great way of looking at it, and it, it can take somebody several years, again, after writing 3,200 pages, it took me several years to figure out what it was that I was talking about, and I wanted to come on and kind of share that, because I think it's going to help people uh, figure out what, why it is they're struggling with this, and, or, or if you've already made the decision to prep, you can look back and say, yeah, I did give myself permission. Doggone, I'm going to, you know, keep giving myself permission. There's a corollary to all this that is familiar to the, uh, to the to gun people who might be in the audience, and obviously your handgun world uh, listeners, it's very familiar. And that's the same process you go through when you're deciding to carry conceal. You give yourself permission to be armed, and again, it's not a government thing, I mean, it's not a Second Amendment thing, but you give yourself permission to carry and to be responsible for that and to do what comes with that, you know, some hard decisions, and if you screw things up, you know, some criminal or even civil liability. So there are all these things that come with it. You have to give yourself permission to say, I'm going to be the one who's going to protect other people, protect yourself first and foremost, but protect other people. I'm going to do this. Society thinks this is a bad idea. I don't really care. I'm going to do what needs to be done. So that's the giving yourself permission thing, and I'm curious what you think about all that. Well, what what I think about that, Glenn, is I think that's the first step. I think you're right on. I get a lot of emails from people that say that their spouse is reluctant to prep. And most of the time, it's a guy saying that his wife 
is the one that's reluctant to prep. Now, no disrespect to women listening to this show. Please don't think I'm, you know, being a sexist here. I'm just saying that that is that's the statistics I, I'm typically getting in a kind of like your story, Glenn, where somebody a guy wants to prep and his wife is reluctant. And I think giving yourself permission is is the first step. I think if you can't do that you're never going to be able to convince your spouse to start prepping because because you're not sold on it yourself. Yes. And if you have to give yourself permission to do it. Um, it's kind of like, like you were saying, you, you, know, you brought up the Dr. Phil analogy. It's kind of like giving yourself permission to quit a bad habit. You've, you've got to... You got to say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this commitment to myself. I don't care what anybody else thinks. It's the same thing with giving yourself permission to prep. You've got to say, I'm gonna do it, and I literally don't care what anybody else thinks. That's right, because the outside world, and again, I live in Washington State, which is left wing nuttiness and has a weird culture here that isn't universal in other parts of the country. I don't know that it's true in Texas. I have friends in Utah, and they say none of this applies where they live. But um, um, all kinds of societal uh, indicators are out there that that prepping is bad and that you're weird and and all this stuff. You know, everybody knows about this, and you have to fight against that. That's part of the permission thing. You're saying, no, I I get to do this. Um, It's okay for me to do this despite what others might think, including, you know, a spouse or your friends or people might you know, make little jokes um, and that sort of thing. And you're just toughening up and you're saying, you know what, I'm doing this. Um, I can do this. I'm going to do this. And and that's the giving yourself permission part of it is, is there's there's pushback from the outside world and you're pushing back on the pushback. Well, that's a good way to put it, pushback on the pushback. Yeah. So how did you... So, Glenn, how did you... How did you go about, talk about the process of giving yourself permission. How did it work for you? It's, it's odd. I can't really remember um, with crystal clarity how it happened. It wasn't, you know, one big moment. I mean, there were steps. I mean, the gun store is a step. Um, and, and all the little prepping things uh, that I did, you know, uh, starting to get the food and and that sort of thing, um, starting to read up on it, starting to listen to podcasts, for example, that had the word survival in them. Oh, my goodness. If I, if I Google, you know, the word survival and the word podcast and, and I get all these podcasts out there on this topic, um, that makes me crazy. I'm weird um, <laughs> because, you know, that sort of thing. And so it, it came in little steps. I can't really say that there was a, a giant epiphany moment. Now, for many things, that happened in the book and that happened in real life. There were gigantic epiphany moments, and I can describe them in great detail and do in the books. But not for this. It was a it was a process. To be honest, it would be it would make a better answer to your question and a better story if there was some aha moment and, and angels were dancing around and I could you know tell a great story about it. But it wasn't that way. Well, but it happened nonetheless. Well, but let me ask you this: Did you obviously there was some reluctancy at first, right? Yes. How did you get over the reluctancy? What what triggered in your mind, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do this? It was this overwhelming sense that I have to do this. 
I need to do this. I'm going to look back and say, I'm really glad I did this. Or conversely, if I don't do this, I'm going to be like Todd in the chapter I was mentioning. I'm going to look back and say, oh my goodness, I just got myself and my family killed. And I just, I'm, the events I see and, and the unique job that I have that allows me to see things that others don't get to see, I just am absolutely convinced that this collapse is coming. And that's what killed me. Um, and part of it also is to get even more sort of pop psychology and talk about outside society and what they think. Again, it's Washington State, which is a little different than elsewhere. It is not okay to be a man in Western Washington. I know that sounds fair. Oh, my goodness, did he just say that? Yeah. No, um, being, um, being you know, a provider and a protector, we're not talking 1950s stereotype stuff. We're just talking about being a normal, decent man who understands, you know, I believe, um, my obligation. People can disagree with me, and that's okay. My obligation to take care of my family, especially when there's a big, scary event, nasty event on the horizon, and I can do a few little things to greatly mitigate all the badness that could come to my family from from this event that I'm certain is happening, um, then I need to do it. I need to be a man. And that is really, really unpopular. I mean, I was I was raised that you never said man, you said person, for example. Um, there's something inherently wrong um, with being male, I think. Um, and this isn't a big diatribe about that, but I mean, um, here's a story that illustrates everything I'm talking about. Um, when I was... Uh, working uh, at a particular place uh, in Olympia um, around some very liberal people. Um, I was out to lunch with a friend of mine, and there was a guy at the restaurant who was either drunk or on drugs or, or insane. He was being very violent, and he was, he was really out of hand. And it's one of these things people tolerate it for a while, but at some point it gets a little out of hand. And then he, he stood up, and he started kind of coming close to a woman, um, he wasn't lunging at her, you know, it wasn't any sort of crime he was committing. It was just getting completely out of hand. Um, I started to stand up, uh, so I was going to do something. Uh, I didn't know what, <laughs> um, unarmed, of course, and uh, yeah. I didn't know what to do. And I ended up sitting back down because a firefighter um, got up and told the guy to go away, and he was this gigantic, you know, bodybuilder kind of guy, the firefighter was, and the, the violent guy left. So that's the background. So I'm, I'm back at my office telling this story to these very liberal people. And I don't think I look particularly good in this story because I didn't do anything particularly tough. I mean, I came to a decision to do it, but for all I know, I would have sat back down or something. I was not um, my present self. I was still a, a suburban sheeple at this point. So I, I tell the story, and, and these, these liberal folks started... <laughs> coming back at me with, oh, you think you're so macho? I was like, no, actually, the point of the story is that I'm not. Right. Um, the firefighter, I think, did the right thing. He was, he was, he was acting like a man. I mean, when somebody is, is, is really close to, to grabbing a woman and is obviously out of his mind, um, I don't know that it's a particularly outrageous thing to do to go stop that. Now, now the, the new me, the modern me, um, would have had absolutely no problem. And I would have been polite and I would have used words and I would have de-escalated and I'm not going to draw a gun on anybody if I don't have to and all those other things. That goes without saying. But I didn't handle it like I think a man should have handled it. Yeah, I'm on a podcast with a lot of listeners admitting that, you know, I was basically 
not being a man, which is sort of hard to do, but it, it's important because it illustrates. So that's the outside um, societal sort of um, damper, um, the dissuasion. That's not a word you hear very often, but it's the best one I can come up with right now. Yeah, it's You're a good one. From being from being somewhat close to a traditional man because it's just not done, and we should rely on, um, and this is what these liberal folks said, um, we should have called the police. You know, they're professionals. Well, first of all, it'd take them 10 minutes to get there. And I can't sit there and watch some drugged-out maniac starting to hurt some woman and just stand there. I can't do it. I just can't do it. I'm a sheepdog, you know. Your your listeners know about that. They're the sheep and the sheepdogs and the wolves. And the sheepdogs protect the sheep from the wolves. And some of us are hardwired that way. And I needed to just accept that I'm like that and that I wasn't going to let that happen. I initially started to let it happen, and I'm embarrassed about that. But anyway, so that describes in, a, in an example the pressures, I think, that are on men. And I hope I'm not alienating your female listeners here because they're saying, well, it applies to women too. Maybe it does. I don't know. But I'm just describing what I know. And so that's what you need to fight against and give yourself permission to stand up and say, sir, you're going to need to leave. And that's not a shocking thing, it shouldn't be, but in today's society, especially where I live, it is indeed a shocking thing to do. And I'm fine with doing it. I'm more than fine with doing it. Yeah, me too. A few times <laughs> since I've sort of come out of my, my sheeple um, shell, if you will. Well, I'm fine with it too. You know, for the life of me, Glenn, I can't figure out these, these liberal people, and most of them are liberals that say this, not all, but that say, well, leave it to the police. They're the professionals. So so they really expect us to watch someone get beat up or killed or maimed while we're waiting the 20 minutes for the cops to get there? I mean, they, and they say this kind of stuff in the, in the context of compassion or whatever. And maybe the cops are professionals. I'm not saying they're not. But why should we watch somebody get killed or raped or beat up waiting for the professionals to get there. I just, I can't understand that type of thinking. Well, and not only is that true, and you're right about everything, and it's, it's a ridiculous idea that we have to sit around and watch this, but the thing that bothers me the most about that is that these, these liberal folks, the reason they thought that I should call the police and let the police handle it is that they just think it's, embarrassing or unbecoming or shocking or garish or rogue or uncultured. I'm trying to come up with a bunch of words here. It's just uncool to be that so-called macho guy. You should Your sense of being a good little person and not being a macho man, it, you, you not being a macho man is more important than that person getting beaten up. And that's what I really have a problem with. So what people think about me based on some goofy, you know, (laughs) social theories that have been proven to be pretty stupid and unworkable, that's what's fueling all of this. And on top of that, somebody's going to get hurt. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I know. Well, and that's why some people won't give themselves permission to prep. I think you have hit the nail on the head. I think... And I'm talking to both men and women here. I think they've been too subjective or too too exposed to other people 
that try to make them think it's not cool, it's not cultured, it's not sophisticated to be a prepper. Exactly. And you got to quit listening to those folks. Well, yeah. I'll say this. I, that's actually... I guess you can listen to them if you want to, but don't let them prevent you from doing what you need to do. And I'm not saying shun everyone in society that disagrees with you. And if they th- think you shouldn't do it, I just kind of nod my head and say, uh-huh, and I go do it. I mean, I'm not going to get all bollocked up about it and get angry. I'm just going <laughs> to get done what I need to get done and and whatever. They can think whatever they want. I mean, let me put it this way. Where I work, I'm the only guy in this parking lot with a pickup truck. I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm, I'm out <laughs> right? Uh, You're definitely an outcast. <laughs> So, do they pick on you about your truck? Oh uh, no! I think I think people that, that get to know me um, they, they assume that you know I'm a nice guy and everything. I mean, I don't really give them a reason to dislike me, but uh, you know, a few comments like uh, you know, like what do you need a ladder to get up in that thing? It's not a big jacked up truck either. It's just a normal truck, and <laughs> I guess compared to their Priuses, I guess it's kind of high up there or something. But. Um, little teeny comments and I, I don't let it bug me it's weird I've developed this thick skin where I can I can still um, have good relationships with people and not get sort of upset and nobody does anything out of hand um, I compare it to being a Buddhist in Alabama um, if you're a Buddhist in Alabama <laughs> you still need to, you still need to get along with people right and there just aren't too many people like you um, and so if you say to yourself, I am only going to associate with fellow Buddhists here in Birmingham, Alabama, you are going to have a very lonely and miserable life, and um, I'm just not going to do that. So I view myself as the equivalent of the Buddhist in Alabama, the prepper in Washington, Western Washington State, and, uh, and I just deal with it, and I've just come to, to deal with it. I mean, it took a while, and um, you know, I have some new friends, but... I have a few old friends. I think they just realize that if they're trying to get a rise out of me, it just doesn't work because they'll say stuff and I'll just shrug or I'll just laugh. I'll just and I say, "Okie dokie, uh, we'll see." Yeah, <laughs> and well, it's no fun. It's no fun <laughs> for them. I just, you know, I just deal with it. I shouldn't have to and all of that, but um, I've chosen a particular line of work and living in a particular part of the country for a variety of reasons makes sense that take too long to explain but um, and so I've made some choices and part of that means that some people are going to make their, their their snide little comments but boy I'll tell you what here's a great example um, and it happened uh, right here where I am um, at my workplace there was a well, I don't know like a guy escaped from prison or went on a crime spree or whatever and his face was plastered all over the you know everybody's you know screens on their computers because there's an alert that went out there's there's been a guy who recently committed a bunch of crimes and he's been seen in our area. You would not believe how many people that had those funny little jokes came over to me and said, so when it gets dark and I need to go out to my car, you know, could you maybe walk me out? I said, absolutely, I'd be happy to. I'm, I'm not armed here at work because I'm not allowed to be and I've agreed to that and all that. So I wasn't even armed and it wasn't a big, you know, gun kind of thing. It was just, yeah, I'd be happy um, because I knew the odds of this bad guy running up on me or whoever I was with were very, very slim and all that. I wasn't afraid or anything. I was cautious, but I wasn't afraid. So isn't that funny? The people who have all the funny little 
you know, are you one of those doomsday prepper kind of comments, um, are the ones that when some minor little hiccup happens, they're running straight to me um, for some of their most basic needs. And I'm a gentleman about it, and I don't throw it back in their face, and I, I'm a decent guy. I mean, I want to help people, so if they need a walking out to the parking lot, then that's what they're going to get from me because that's what a friend does and that's what a man does, for goodness sake. So, yeah, I'm just going to be a good example and they'll figure it out after a while. And if they don't, whatever, I'm taken care of. <laughs> yeah. Well, and a good story there. And, you know, let me get back to something you said earlier. I want to want to get your elaborated opinion on this. Do you think that some people don't give themselves permission to prep because... Oh. Be- well, and what I was going to say, I, we know that they don't, but do you think that the reason they don't give themselves per, permission to prep is because at that point where they give themselves permission to prep, that is a 100% admission that now something bad could happen. And I think, it, yeah, it's a personal Bob Main theory, but I think they know that something could happen. And they really suspect that something could happen, but they might be the kind of person, they might be the ostrich with their head in the sand that, oh, I still don't want to think about all that terrible stuff. And all of a sudden, then once they start doing it and give themselves permission, they're 100% committed and now they believe something's going to happen and there's no turning back. Exactly right. They don't want to admit that something bad is going to happen because it's a one-way thing you can't go back after you said you know what crime could go way up and i need to take some precautions to protect myself for example that's a thought you can't stuff back in you know your head it's like the toothpaste that's out of the tube um and then you've got to actually do something and not only do you have to do things like all the things that we talk about on the show or you talk about on the show um you you have to uh not only do things but you have to uh, accept all these little societal jabs that are going to come at you. You have to be strong and you have to chart a course and say, okay, I guess I get laughed at. And it's it's a whole bunch of sort of unpleasant ramifications that come from this. Now, it completely makes sense to go ahead and prep, obviously. I mean, the, the benefits outweigh the, the burdens, you know, a million to one. But still, there are a few little, little burdens uh, associated with all this. Look at how people... Uh, go into denial about things. And let's say, uh, let's say somebody very close to you, you think maybe they're drinking way too much and, and you don't really want to think that because, I mean, that would be a huge problem and could lead to a bunch of other problems and you're just saying, oh, goodness, you know, that can't be, I hope that's not true, I hope that's not true. Well, at some point, you need to have that thought, okay, something needs to be done. And then you need to say, I need to do something. I need to help this person. We need, you know, whatever it is you need to do. And, yeah, you've got a lot of stuff to do. And maybe you get accused of overreacting. Maybe the person who's drinking too much says, hey, you're overreacting, you know, you're being a jerk, I'm not going to talk to you again, or something. All these things that can happen. Well, it's really similar to prepping. You see that there's a problem out there, and fixing the problem, uh, at least for yourself and for the people you care about, comes with a cost. And some people aren't willing to do it. Some people, and you've, you've met people in your life like this so much, the, the, the denial they live in is just unbelievable and you wonder how they could construct this artificial world in their mind and they, they manage to um, so yeah it's a lot left down yeah and you you said something else earlier that I think was really really good that it, they, they accept the burden 
They do. You know, you can probably relate to this, Glenn. You know, I, I get made fun of a lot because well, I do a I do a podcast on prepping and survival, and I do another one on guns and ammunition and training and self defense and 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 all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, you must be some kind of a kook, and that's the burden that we carry. You probably get that a lot. You know, you write what? You write prepper books, or you must be some kind of a of a weirdo. Yeah. Well, um, the part about me writing books. Um the, uh, the sheeple in my world have no idea I'm doing it, so I don't have that particular problem. But I am the, the guy with a pickup. I am the guy. And somebody says, what did you do this weekend? And I say, took uh, took some friends of, uh, family friends, some three teenage boys out, and we went and we shot guns. And uh, I like guns and that sort of thing. And, ah, that kind of <laughs> Yeah, no, but there's that. There's a jazz from that. You're right, though, and you get it. Um, I mean, you put out a podcast, two podcasts, actually, and so you're sort of more, I don't know, open about it. Yeah, I bet there's some people thinking that are listening to this that think, "Gosh, if I tell somebody I'm storing six months worth of food in my house or ninety days worth of water and two weeks worth of gas, they're going to think I'm I'm some kind of a weird fringe dwelling kook." Yep, and uh, ask people in uh, Arkansas right now that are living through an ice storm how crazy that all is. Well, as we speak. Same up in uh, North Texas in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I was talking to some friends of mine this morning up there. Uh, they're iced over with like two inches of ice everywhere and several hundred thousand people without power. Yep. Who's crazy now? <laughs> yeah, really. Who's crazy now? Yeah. The several hundred thousand people without power right now at this moment might be thinking, gee, I'm sorry I made fun of that guy who was a prepper and has a generator and 18 different ways to create heat and light in his house because I'm sitting here in the dark, cold, with nothing to eat, and I'm worried about all the stuff in my refrigerator and freezer. You know, there's an important sort of after story to that situation you just mentioned, and that is to the extent possible, being magnanimous about it, like I was with the people who made fun of me but then wanted me to walk them out to their car. And I did, and I, and I didn't mention, you know, how stupid they've been their whole lives. <laughs> it tends to not be very persuasive when you say that. <laughs> right. You've been stupid your whole life. And, uh, and now you realize that, oh, what, you won't admit it? Of course they won't admit it. They dig in deeper and they get more offensive. So, but I think being magnanimous about it. Now, there's a limit to that. Um, if, if things go completely haywire like I think they will, and, that, and all these people that, you know, bug you, that doesn't mean, you know, letting them in your house. And, and after about three days, the whole neighborhood eats pretty good. And the next three months, your family doesn't eat because, you know, there are obviously limits to it. But I mean, to the, that's why I say to the extent possible. And you mentioned the generator and the, and the you know, ice storm and everything. And that would be something where it's, it's entirely possible for you to have, you know, some heat on at your house, have people over. Um, they can charge up their, I don't know, iPods or whatever. You know, they got to listen to your podcast, right? But I mean, they yeah. charge up some of their appliance or whatever it is they need, and and just be very good about because that'll make it a lot easier for them to accept what you're doing, and there won't be this whole thing going on that if if I admit that I was wrong and that this proper guy was right, he's just gonna. He's going to make fun of me. It's going to be tit for tat. It's going to be a volley back and forth. You know, and it, who needs that stuff? I mean, the people who bug me for being a prepper are are lame <laughs> for doing that. But guess what? It, it ends with me. I mean, now there, I mean, it could go too far. I mean, if somebody continues to be obnoxious, and uh, you know, then I'm going to react appropriately. But in peacetime, in the here and now, for as long as that exists, we can be 
decent and magnanimous, and that's probably the better approach, just because I don't like being mad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a great point. That's a great point to finish on, you know, because being magnanimous, magnanimous, that's a tongue twister. Being magnanimous about it, you're right. That's going to that's gonna show more character, more class than, than the opposite. And also right now, I mean... The way I think the way you are right now, the way the way people see you, is probably exactly the way they're going to see you after the stink hits the fan, and you're the guy that they come to. Yep, exactly, exactly. And I need to be the guy who can help again within reason. So what I'm saying is, let's not be in your face about it all the time, because I think people are going to assume that you're always going to be that way, and either might not come to you for help or they certainly are not going you're not going to change them in any way even after a disaster happens because you were that jerk about it all the time yeah and and all that's true and I would add this with me it's very selfish I hate to admit it but it's true it's very selfish I choose not to be mad I mean stress what is that thing that surges through your body like adrenaline cortisol I believe it's called it's a horrible horrible thing that messes up all kinds of things and it's bad for your health and I just I I hate being angry. I've been angry in the past, and it didn't work very well for me. So it's completely selfish. But all the other things you mentioned are true. Absolutely. Great point, Glenn. Take the last minute to talk about Book 7 coming out. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's Book 7 of a 10-book series, and uh, Book 7 will be out in mid-December, which will be roughly when many people are, are hearing this podcast. I do not have a precise date. I apologize. There are teeny-weeny little things that are still up in the air that prevent an exact date from being given out. It's available on Amazon. Um, it's also available on Nook if you're a Barnes & Noble Nook person. Amazon has the, the Kindle uh, and, of course, the, the hard copy. I understand that uh, you can also read uh, uh, Kindles on an iPad with a little app or something. So yes. Read the Kindles. Yes, I did not know that. I, uh, I write so much and I read so much of the editing that, that the editors do with me that I don't have time to read normal books, which is weird. And uh, you can also find out more on the website, which is 299days.com. And I'm a big Facebook user. I get a lot of stuff out, a lot of pictures from readers showing cool things. Uh, it's very, very fun to uh, follow along. And that's 299days, parentheses, the book on Facebook. Nice. Glenn Tate, thanks for coming on the show again. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Love coming on. Nope, I love having you on. Have a good day and and, uh, keep prepping on. Will do. You too, sir. Many thanks to Glenn Tate. I'm sorry about the audio quality. I think I had my iPad too close to my computer and I was getting some kind of feedback on there. I tried to correct it during the editing process. It was actually worse, so I made it a little bit better. So my apologies again on that. I try to make the audio quality better than that. But hopefully it doesn't take away from the content. Good stuff. Glenn always makes a tremendous amount of sense in anything that he talks about. And that's kind of a good philosophical discussion there. Um, sometimes you have to have a psychological analyzation or, or a philosophical look at survival. I guess this was more the psychology of it. You know, are you ready to give yourself permission? It's kind of like, you know, are you ready to change your life? That That's pretty much what what this whole theme was. And, and I hope that you enjoyed that. And thanks again, Glenn. I, I appreciate your time. Folks, 
People like Glenn Tate and other people who have been on this show, all the people who have contributed in the way of interviews, they donate their time. I don't pay them or anything like that. They do it because they want to and they donate their time. Time is the is one of the very few assets that's not renewable. So, would you please show them some appreciation for their time? Grab one of Glenn's books. Makes a good Christmas present for somebody else, even if you don't want to read it. Or get two copies, one for yourself and one for somebody else that you know might live far away that you want to get them turned on to it. And things like that. Also, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, don't forget to go to my Amazon store and or my recommended bookstore at todayssurvival.com. Order your copy. Also, by the way, for those of you who like firearms, I don't talk much about firearms on this show because this is supposed to be a prepping show. Every once in a while I discuss it. I've got a class coming up. As most of you know, I teach firearms training for Suarez International. And if you want to, if you don't know who that is, go to Suarez, S-U-A-R-E-Z, SuarezInternational.com, Gabe Suarez's company. I'm one of their staff instructors. In April, April 5th and 6th to be exact, Saturday and Sunday, I'm going to be teaching their new close-range gunfighting course. It's called Close Range Gunfighting 2. CRG2. It's also going to incorporate some point shooting in there. And uh, folks, I'll have you point shooting without sights, making hits out to 10 yards, maybe even as far as 15 yards. And if you don't believe me, come to the class. I'll prove you wrong. If I don't prove you wrong, then I'll pay for your class. How's that for a guarantee? I'm serious about that. So take me up on it. You can go to SuarezInternational.com. I'll also put a link in the show notes, SuarezInternational.com. And also Ben Branham and I, Uh, another firearms instructor that I work with. We will be doing some pretty cool classes coming up in 2014. We kind of did a small class this month in December, and we tested out a new curriculum for pistol fighting dynamics. Yeah, you're going to love pistol fighting dynamics. It's really, really cool. We, We did some training in team tactics. You've heard Ben Branham talk about building a survival team, building a prepper team. Right, Probably one of the most important things that you can do is build a prepper team. By the way, Glenn contributed part two of an interview on a prepper team. It's available from my Survival Champions Club store for 25 bucks. So if you want to listen to that, go to the, go to the website, todayssurvival.com, and go to my Survival Champions Club store. You'll see it over on the right-hand side of the site. And listen to the second part of Glenn Tate's interview with me. Real good audio quality on that one, on building a prepper team. Uh, it was the second part of it. He was on this show doing the first part of it for free for all of you to listen to. But if you've got a prepper team and you guys want to train together to shoot and to, and to defend, defend your camp out, defend your new survival homestead, uh, come do the uh, team tactics Fighting as a team class that Ben and I teach called Pistol Fighting Dynamics. Pretty cool. And you'll be able to just kind of watch my website, either todayssurvival.com or handgunworld.com. Watch either of those sites and, of course, listen to the show. I will give you a new schedule for those classes when they're available in 2014. With all that said, folks, thanks very much for listening to yet another episode of today's Survival Show. I'm Bob Main. Thanks again for listening. Remember to do what you can with what you have wherever you are. I'll catch you next time. Goodbye.